There is the light that never goes out from the Smiths, and that's taken from the album The Queen is Dead. I'm David Eastall, and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life. As always, bringing you the best in indie pop from the golden decade. Songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, we like a special guest. This week is no exception. I caught up with Nick Hobbs from The Shrubs. Yes, one of the bands that appeared on the famous C86 cassette by the NME. So I've got that interview that I've broken up into three little sections for your easy digestion or something like that plus the usual award-worthy playlist but because there's a lot to cram in and not a huge amount of time i think we should kick off with a track by the shrubs this is a track taken from the album take me aside for a midnight harangue this is john corpse nick take it away Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely spot on. There you go. That is the Shrubs with the track titled John Corpse. That came from the album Take Me Aside for a Midnight Harangue that um, was released on the Ron Johnson record label run by the one and only Dave Parsons. And I have an interview with him, which I need to um, bring out as well very soon for the show. And that was also um, talking of that track, John Corpse. That was recorded for a John Peel session back in 1986, produced by the one and only Dale Griffith. I know, I've got lots of information here, haven't I? All stored in my brain. And I hope you'll pay attention because I will test you at the end of the show. But anyway, look, this week's special guest is going to be Nick Hobbs from The Shrubs and a few other musical adventures as well. So I've got that interview um, broken down into three bits. But before we have the first part, I think we should have another track. This is titled Car Breaker, taken from an EP, Full Steam, Into the Brainstorm, that also came out on Ron Johnson Records. Nick? Let us rock and roll. Thank you. 
More chart band sounds. That's the shrubs and the track called Car Breaker taken from the EP Full Steam into the Brain Storm that came out on Ron Johnson Records. This is David Eastall, sounding excited, um, on the C86 show. If you want to contact me, we um, mostly, uh, yes, always love your messages, especially if they're positive and groovy. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 show and uh, it'll be delightful. Anyway, the first part of my interview with Nick... Um, who I caught up with in Istanbul. Indeed, I know, we just blew the budget on this one. And this is the first part where I talked about the beginnings and his early years. Nick, tell us all the story. Hearing Trapmaster Replica, I got into Zapper and I got into other stuff and listened to a lot of stuff through people at school and so on. But music became central, that's the point. And uh, then I bunked off school when I was 17 and went on the road with Beefheart And I did the same thing when I was 18. And then when I was 19, after I'd left school and not gone to university, I went I went on the road with Beefheart again. And that time, um, hold on, can you lose this? Sorry, I'm talking to someone else. Um, That time, um, Henry Cow was supporting uh, Beefheart. It was it was a Virgin Records tour. It was the, 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 the tragic band tour. And and uh, Henry Cow were on the road with Beefheart, and that's when I met Henry Cow. Um, and we became friends, and I sort of visited them in the studio while they were recording some of their albums and whatnot. Um, and uh, then life kind of spanned its course for a few years, uh, and I stayed in touch with Henry Cow. And then I ended up in Italy when I was about 21 or 22, um, and I organized a tour for Henry Cow, um, which went quite well, and I'd never done anything like it before. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I managed, I, I, it, it was successful. Um, and they asked me if I'd like to be their manager and I said, yes. And so I just went back with them to London. Um, so that's the story of how I ended up being Henry Cow's manager. And then they split up a year, year later, but it was quite a fruitful year. Um, and then I, hung, I stayed working with Chris Cutler. We set up, uh, recommended records together and then I after that, and through, in fact, through Chris, I met a, a Swedish band called uh, Kreldus and Stalten, um, who I really got on with and liked them a lot. And they were very Beefheartian, in fact. Um, and um, they didn't have a singer. They had a sort of their guitar player and their bass player shared vocals, but they didn't have a dedicated singer. And I said to them, well, why don't I become your singer? And uh, they said, yes. And so I moved to Sweden. Um, and became their singer. And then they split up just the day before we went into the recording studio. We were going to go into the recording studio, so that was a disaster. And then I moved back to London after they split up and started working at Rough Trade. Uh, and then I joined, I, I, I joined for a very short time a proto version of Stump. Um, and they sort of threw me out because I was too serious. Uh, and then I joined the band that became the Shrubs, um, and that worked. We got on well, and we shared a common vision, and we we all kind of shared pretty much the same influences, which was Beefheart, Perubu, and The Fall, um, and plus, of course, lots of other stuff. Um, and that was the Shrubs, and we started, I can't remember if we, I guess we started around the beginning of 86, probably, because the the C86 thing happened really right at the beginning. It was a bit too early for us, in fact, because we hadn't sort of clarified our sound or what we were doing or anything else. But we just got invited to do C86 very shortly after we started. Yeah. We did our best. Because um, cause on that sort of what the world of the indie pop um, sort of sphere, I suppose, I've always put it down to, that it started in about 83 time with the Smiths and and obviously there was all these bands that came along who had that quality, that sort of post-punk period. And I suppose most of them, I mean, there were people like, I suppose, Stump and Bogshed and then Big Flame and yourself who were very influenced by people, I suppose, like Captain Beefheart and then a lot of other people who were probably had different influences from the Pistols to, sure. to um, I suppose, the Velvet um, Underground was always the band that most people had. So did you ever feel part of that kind of scene that was had started in, in sort of 80s? Well, I, was, I, was, um, I wasn't a punk. I was a bit too old to be a punk, but I was certainly very much um, into uh, a lot of 
so-called punk groups and new wave groups. And, and even with Henry Cow, when Henry Cow was still going, we, we crossed the end last year of Henry Cow, which was, I don't know when it was, 78 or something, kind of, and Fred Frith's girlfriend worked for Glitterbest. And we had all kinds of connections, and the Buzzcocks were fans of Henry Cow. Mark Smith was a fan of Henry Cow. Uh, Green of Scritti Politti was a fan. So I met these people in the context of still being with Henry Cow. Um, and uh, so I knew quite a few of the bands, I, I, particularly the Buzzcocks and Richard Boone, their manager. I met Howard Devoto, and I knew Mark Smith kind of casually, and blah, blah, blah. I saw the Banshees quite a lot of times. Um, and I was sort of, so I was quite interested. Um, I think I met Mark Perry. I can't remember anymore. And of course, when I worked at Rough Trade, there we were, you know, we I knew this. I, I was one of the, one of the, I was a channel in the Smith signing to Rough Trade, in fact. Um, and I knew the raincoats and the slits and I don't know. And also the postcard record group, uh, postcard bands and, um, the, the Cocteau twins, the four AD bands, you know, there was, I was part of the, I was around on that scene. I was definitely part of that scene in my capacity at working at rough trade. And we represented some of the bands. I, and I had some weird stuff happened. Like I remember speaking to Rob Gretton on the day that Ian Curtis killed himself, you know, and I was calling, I was working rough trade and I called Gretton and said, you know, we're interested in working with joy division. And he said, uh, Ian's just killed himself. So that was, you know, those kind of things yes. um, happened. Um, and um, so it's, um, so I was around, you know, and I met, I knew Tony Wilson and Alan Erasmus, and I, I knew a bunch of people, in fact, from yeah. that scene. Because it's, uh, it's quite an interesting way that you did it, because most people, you know, get into the band and then do lots of unfortunate um, bad deals you know sort of publishing and management and stuff like that so you must have learned a lot being with Henry Cow. I don't know um I think I was I was I, I learned everything um the kind of hard way I learned it I learned everything on the job I didn't nobody ever taught me anything really when I started working at Rough Trade I was a an agent and I worked alongside a guy called Mike Hintz who's still around but living in France and retired um and he was sort of he wasn't a mentor, but he was a partner and we we bounced ideas off each other. But it was extremely um, un, un, incoherent. Um, and I sort of specialized in Europe because he didn't know where Europe was. And he specialized in the UK and he had his taste and I had my taste. And of course, we inherited lots of things through rough trade. And it was very spur of the moment. Uh, there was no thought about long term strategy. We didn't know what we were doing in business. And it was a bit like that with Henry Cow, but with Henry Cow, I was dealing with people who'd been in the business before me and who were older than me um, and who'd done deals with Virgin Records, etc., and who had some experience and they certainly had a strong point of view. So I did learn something through that. Um, yes. um, but it was it was all ad hoc. You know, there was no there was no formal mentoring and there was certainly no there were no colleges where you could go and get a degree in this sort of stuff you just learned it on the job yeah. and hopefully you were you know one was smart enough to learn quickly and not make huge mistakes famous last words there you go that's the first part of my interview with nick hobbs from the shrubs and obviously um, talking about his early days with Henry Cow and also Rough Trade Records. Anyway, I've got another two parts of that to still to come. And we haven't even got to when he um, was particularly in the band, almost. Anyway, look, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this is going to be another track by The Shrubs. This is titled Bullfighter's Bones that did feature on the famous NME C86 cassette. I think we're in for another treat. <laughs>
How to Party in the 80s. There you go. That is The Shrubs with a track titled Bullfighter's Bones. That also, as I mentioned earlier, and hopefully you're paying attention, um, on the C86 cassette, one of that, well, the most famous cassette that was ever published in living history. Anyway, David E. Saul, C86 Show. This is the second part of my interview with Nick Hobbs, uh, where we, um, I'm not quite sure how we got onto it. That's probably my favourite subject, really. Um, the political times that we lived in, especially during the 80s. Um, and um, yes, we were talking about um, Red Wedge, Rock Against Racism, and general, yes, the political and cultural landscape. And this was Nick and uh, the reply to my interesting question. Nick, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I was, again... Um both with Henry Cow, Chris Cutler, and Chris Cutler and Henry Cow were, of course, lefties, quite hardcore lefties in some ways. Um, and um, even during um, the Cow year, or the Cow times, and after Cow with Chris, we did stuff which was in a parallel universe to punk and new wave, but somehow in political terms was not so far away which is, of course, part of the reason why Chris's, uh, Fred's girlfriend worked for Glitterbest. Um, the, the, the two scenes were not so far off each other, in fact, um, and that why there was why some of the punk bands, at least, were fans of Henry Cow and other groups of that era, of course. So um, the um, and we and when I was at Rough Trade, yeah, there was Rock Against Racism, and there I, I don't remember anything very much anymore. And and I was we were. We were agents for some of the bands who were part of that distinctly. Um, and, and then, you know, I would check things out. I would remember seeing Billy Bragg and, and, you know, I don't know. It was the scene and I was part of that scene. I didn't feel myself to be particularly divorced from that scene. We were in a ghetto called the Ron Johnson Records ghetto for a while. Um, and um, But I felt that scene was also still connected to the other scenes um just that the bands as you say on ron johnson mostly had this sort of beef arty and full thing in common yes absolutely and so how did the 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 sort of narrative of the shrubs uh, progress because most people have about five years where they sort of get together and then they do a bit of a they get the sound slightly sorted they do you know luckily get played on john peel do a session do the album and then they have a problem with their second album. And if anybody ever tours America, that always seems to finish them off. So, but um, it was a bit like that with us. I mean, we we did we did the equivalent of three albums, which I financed uh, because nobody else would. And Ron Johnson stiffed us, or Dave Dave Parsons stiffed us because he didn't pay the bills, so I had to pay them. Luckily, I had a day job, and luckily, or luckily or unluckily, I was motivated, So, and I still am, so that whenever it was necessary to make a record or pay a recording bill, and if I had the money, I would pay it. Um, so um, 
So I was kind of the commercial leader of, I was the manager of, the, of all the bands I've ever been in, in fact, in the, and therefore the leader in that sense that I would be the one who would stump up the money. We did, we did, a, we did, the, we did a, two, a couple of EPs, 12-inch EPs, one, one track of which went on to C86. Then we did our album, our sort of, I think, you know, for the hardcore fans of the shrubs of which there are not very many, our masterpiece, which was full steam into the brainstorm, which came out on Ron Johnson. And then we did our second album, which didn't come out on Ron Johnson because he hadn't paid. And it came out on, uh, I can't remember the name of the label. Um, it'll come to me public domain. Um, and, um, which I think is also a very good record. Um, and then we split because two members of the band got babies, you know, or their girlfriends got babies. Um, and they couldn't, they just couldn't sustain being in a band where they didn't make any money anymore. Um, we, we stayed friends. We're still friends. Uh, we didn't, we didn't have any acrimonious splits. The only person who ever changed in the lineup was the bass player. We went, we had three different bass players, but even there we're all kind of friends. Um, and the other four of us didn't change from beginning to end. Um, and it, it was just the, the economics, really. We could, we didn't make any money. We never made any money, and we had no hope of making any money. Um, and um, babies came along. Yes, because well, normally that that does well. I say normally, it always happens somewhere down the line. Normally five years, and sometimes ten. But yes, suddenly everybody's either still living at home or living in a squat and feeling exactly. like, like they just can't do this anymore. And also, it sounds like at least with your band, the dynamics within it weren't um, too destructive. Because that's the other problem. Most people look back and say, "I just really wish we hadn't taken and consumed so many drugs and drink." We were pretty clean. I mean, you know, the the guys drank. I didn't. I was the I was the cleanest member of the band, I guess. But they just drank kind of socially. They didn't. There was no. We didn't have any alcoholics or drug addicts in the band, so that was never an issue. And we were all and are all nice people, I would say. I don't know how nice I am, but I'd certainly speak for the others. They're all nice people. Um, and we got on. We didn't, we didn't fight. We, you know, we might have arguments, but they were very amicable arguments. We got on well with our producer, Dolph, who's still around. Um, and um, generally, it was a very social uh, and creative band. Um, and if we'd have, you know, if we'd have been, if we'd have had more success, we would have carried on, I guess, but it just didn't happen like that. Yeah. And then what happened? Because obviously your sort of career, um, you know, again, you know, most people sort of put their instruments away for a few decades and then slowly bring them out again when they're sort of a bit older, but you, you stuck with playing music, didn't you? And sort of forming new I just bands. formed another band. I, I formed another band, which was called Mecca. Uh, which made, recorded two albums and toured. We didn't seem to do anything in the UK, but we did quite a lot in strange places. We toured Russia two or three times, and I don't know. We, it was quite strange, but we, it was a very good band. Um, and again, we're still friends. We split up because of babies again. Um, the, the guitar player, who was sort of the main music writer, he got a baby, and he moved out of London, and that was the end of Mecca. Um, but we're still in touch and still on good terms, and the two albums still exist. Um, and um, and then I formed another band, which was called Infidel, uh, with uh, Dids, who'd been Nico's drummer, and Keith Molinay, who became and still is, I think, Perubu's guitar player now, who wasn't at the time. And I think Dids is now playing with Perubu as well. Um, and um, which was funny because I introduced them to Perubu because I became Perubu's manager. So anyway, the, these things are kind of interwound, in, interwoven. Um, and um, the um, and Infidel recorded probably one album, which was which has still not been released, although it's on my list of things to do. Unfortunately, my list of things to do is quite long, and time is quite short. Um, and then after Infidel, I made a, a duo album with my then wife, Russian wife, which I'm, which I think is a good record, but you know, I got good reviews in the in Wire and stuff, but it didn't do anything else. And then I started doing, getting more overtly experimental. I'd always been kind of into left, you know, very left field stuff, but I started becoming more. Um, I, emboldened to go further into something you might call experimental music, and so most of the most of the most of my recordings after that 
have been after during the last 15 years have been pretty extreme i guess not rock no. with one exception yes. which is the east end pollen album which i recorded here and released two years ago so um uh, I st uh, Infidel was the last band band I kind of formed and then after that I decided I'd just focus on different projects with different people from and do do it like and work like that and that's where I'm at at the moment yes because I, I, I was sort of looking at various little articles and you'd come to Norwich actually a few years ago hadn't you I came to Norwich in 2016 I played I did a solo concert of my Brel my versions of Jacques Brel songs yes so that was a, yeah, so so definitely, and and um, sort of, I know it's a bit of a tricky one because you're, you're obviously still doing quite a lot. But what would you say to your eighteen-year-old self, sort of starting out in in the world of music? Um, well, I didn't. I wouldn't say that you you made a mis he'd made a mistake. It was the you know the right thing to do. Uh, there are things. It's hard to say because I don't know whether I could ne could ever have made a career out of music, a real career out of being a, a performer. Because I also did theatre. I did a lot of theatre, uh, and uh, I didn't make a career out of that either. Although I, you know, that was a bit more closer in some ways to making a career than music. Um, so, and now I teach dance amongst some other things that I do. So I kind of, you know, stayed in the area of performing arts. Yes. Um, and but my I always made my living through um managing bands or being an agent or being a concert promoter or something like that. Um and that's still the case. I still make my living like that, although I'm kind of at an age where I'm thinking about retiring at least not completely but partially from working and so I can spend more time being an artist. Indeed, a lot to think about there. I know, I was quite um, gripped there. That was the second part of my interview with Nick Hobbs talking about life in a band, in music, in art, um, and obviously the shrubs as well. But anyway, look, still one more part of the interview to go, but I think we should break it up with another track. This is another song taken from the album Take Me Aside for a Midnight Harangue. This is the opening track titled Mysterious Places. Nick, rock and roll.
And once again, have to say, fantastic sound. That was Mysterious Places from the Shrubs, taken from the album Take Me Aside for a Midnight Harangue, released in 1987, which I put down as probably the best year of music ever. So there you go. This is David Eastall, the C86 Show, and this is going to be the final part of my interview with Nick, where we talk about... What do we talk about, Nick? I'm not quite sure. No. I think about reflecting on what's happened, what's been, and what he would do differently. Nick... Be reflective. Tell us what you'd do different and uh, the lessons you've learned, please. It's hard to say. You know, I would have. Um, uh, I, I don't know. It's difficult. I think the, the business-wise, there were things I made some big business mistakes, but not particularly with my bands because we didn't have any business opportunities to make mistakes with. Um, I could have been a little bit more careful about making sure that people signed pieces of paper to say that I, you know, that that sort of stuff. But that was fairly trivial. Um, but in in my professional career, in in um, being an agent, being a promoter, being a manager, I think I should have been. A, I made some mistakes, pretty bad ones, <laughs> uh, which cost me lots of money, and therefore, of course, cost you years of your life. Because if you lose hundreds of thousands, you lose your capital, and suddenly you don't have the money that you thought you had, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And all of that. There were a few tragedies like that. And another thing I did, which I think was a mistake, but again, it doesn't apply to my artistic work, is that I hung around in, in you know, like being working with recommended records, I sort of just quit. But I sort of carried on for a couple more years, or being, being Perubu's manager, I should have kind of quit uh, earlier than I stopped you know, it, it, it had got to the point where it wasn't going to go anywhere else. Um, but I, I'm very loyal and stubborn, so I didn't quit. Yeah. And um, and obviously the one thing that people have started doing quite a lot now, mainly because of an age thing and sort of realising that um, you never know what the future holds, but are people putting sort of their back catalogue, sort of um, filing it and archiving it and sort of, I suppose, you know, trying to document it? So that no. um, Have you been tempted or are you in the process? No, no, I would, lo- I would love to do that. The, my problem is that I have a full-time job plus lots of other things that I do. Uh, which are very active and real and current. And of course, when you have lots of current stuff to do, the stuff which is like, oh, I want to do this, but it's not quite urgent. I can do it tomorrow. Uh, that that's what happens. So I've been, I have all, I have all our tapes and stuff of all the projects that I've worked with. I've got all the tapes. So as long as the house doesn't burn down, they exist. And most of them, or yeah, pretty much most of them are backed up somehow or other, if, if a bit crudely. Uh, and, um, so yes, there is a there is a lot of wish to from me to release or re-release all. You know, the shrubs have never been released on CD. Um, Infidel has never been released at all. Um, and I've got tons of recordings of other projects, not tons, but quite a lot of other recordings of other projects that I've done over the last 15 or so years, which I just haven't got around to releasing because I've been focused on, you know, a certain project and that gets my attention and, you know, and it carries on like that. And I tend to do the one, the project each time, which is the most in my most in the foreground of my brain. Yes. Um, but the wish is there. Yeah, I think all my work, you know, I'm pretty happy with most of what I've done. Of course, there are things I've things I've done where I feel, well, mm, that wasn't so great. But generally, I'm happy with it. Um, yes, well, it's it's just kind of, you know, it's in a weird way. I think a lot of this stuff has all just been sort of forgotten for a few decades. But because of, I suppose, the Internet and social media, people have started to sort of, I don't know, make connections, sort of realise that it's quite nice to sort of just you know, I suppose actually archive, and when you're young, you know, you don't really think of archive and stuff because it doesn't quite have that connotation, but then suddenly, you know, all these labels are sort of bringing out stuff that, and, you know, people are just wanting to sort of get their stuff done just because if if anything happens to them, you know, someone will just going to chuck everything in the in a skip and that will be lost forever. No, 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 I completely agree with you, and uh, I, I have been smart enough to uh, make sure I keep everything, Maybe not. I mean, we've lost artwork, but the actual recordings I've kept. I've got all the master tapes, you know, everything from day one. So uh, that I have. Uh, and of course, you also there's format problems. You know, there's I live in Istanbul. Finding uh, 16 track tape machines or uh, two two inch digital record, you know, it, it's very difficult. So all of that stuff makes it a little bit more difficult. But mm-hmm. th- those are all surmountable obstacles. It's mainly time. 
Yeah. Oh, just one last question. Um, just to ask, you know, because you did um, you did two John Peel sessions, didn't you? For, for yeah. I mean, did they were they? Did you enjoy the the process, and and were you pleased with the result? I think the first John Peel session, two tracks, I I really liked, which was Animal and can't remember the name of the other track. Um, and um, and we put those out on one as one side of a twelve-inch single. Um, and then two other tracks I thought, which were which appeared on the first album, I thought were not so great as recordings. Maybe the mix wasn't, you know, you when you do a peel session, you mix it immediately, and it's either good or it's not, and you can't go back. The second session, I thought was better. Uh, it 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 worked for me better, um, as I remember, as a whole. I thought all four tracks came out pretty well. Um, we didn't get invited back for a third session, and we and none of my other bands got invited to Peel sessions. So that was that, really. <laughs> oh yeah, just um, oh yeah, just because obviously the the kind of the C eighty six cassette is now being sort of um, reissued quite a few times on CD. Do you occasionally sort of get your yearly kind of royalty just to go? Oh look. Oh yeah, going? yeah. We Cherry Red. I'm in touch with Cherry Red, and they send a check for seventy quid about you know every year or so. And of course, <laughs> it's it's a joke, but I mean. It's okay. It's it's it's. A, it's I'm happy for to be part of that. And there was the C87 thing that came out last year, I think, and we had a track on that too, which was from our first album. So that was from '87, of course. Uh, and uh, we got a check for f- something less than a hundred pounds, I think, for for that. So you know that I, I'm very happy to be uh, to for anybody who wishes to include a track of ours on a compilation or of anything that I've done on a compilation. And somebody just contacted me through SoundCloud last week saying they want to put, they want to play the whole of one of my solo albums on Radio 3. And I'll believe it when it happens, but that's what they wrote. We live in hope. Fingers crossed on that one. Anyway, that is the third and final part of my interview with Nick Hobbs, talking about life in music from the early years right through to, I think, what he's doing now. And um, yes, always much appreciated, especially as he was in Istanbul at the time. And if you were listening to that interview, especially the last bit, closely, and not just uh, sort of letting your mind drift, we were talking about John Peel and John Peel Sessions, one of my favourite subjects. And um, obviously the band did two sessions he couldn't remember one of the songs that they recorded on the EP titled Black Mailer. Um, he mentions Animal, but the other track is Assassin. And I'm going to play it for you right now, dear listener. That's how efficient I am. Anyway, produced by the one and only Dale Griffith. Take it away. <laughs> Red point on your face 
Indeed, classic stuff. That's the Strubs with a track called Assassins that was taken from a John Peel session recorded in 1986. Anyway, that is the uh, end of the show. Not forever, just today. So a big thank you to Nick Hobbs, who also goes by the name of Nikolai Galen. So if you want to find out any more information, it is out there, here, there, and sometimes on SoundCloud as well. So um, Google away to your heart's content. And like I said, a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you would like to contact me, actually that sounds a bit needy, doesn't it? If you want to, that's what I mean. Um, you can find Facebook, Twitter, just go to at C86. 86 show always nice as always there'll be a special guest on next week's show who will it be i have no idea i haven't decided yet but anyway i'm going to leave you with another track by the shrubs one of the great bands of our time this again taken from the album take me aside for a midnight harangue on ron johnson records this is farmers have a great week
Oh 